Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, arranger, and vocalist from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, J.D. Walter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have J.D. Walker joining us. And, sir, thank you for joining us on such short notice. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, can you please introduce yourself to the people? Yes. So, uh, my name is J.D. Walter. I'm a jazz singer and I live in New York. Been here for about 24 years. Um, I'm a straight ahead to progressive to electronica jazz singer and also an educator teach at various conservatories around the world and and in new york and uh i don't know have about seven or eight records out there and signed a a record deal with arcadia records last august and we'll be releasing the first uh the first recording this spring okay cool uh what should i be alert for on that album is your single going to be on there, the one I really like, Golden Lady? Golden Lady. So Golden Lady was actually recorded in 1997. It's off of my first record. Um, oh. And um, it's been picked up through various places. I BBC uh, picked it up uh, on a mix that they like. They, they took a liking to the song and, and they were spinning it. I guess they have DJs or something at a, at a club in London that is... Uh, that's sponsored by the BBC and people actually dance to straight ahead jazz, which is kind of a, a weird foreign concept to me. I can't anybody, I can't imagine anybody dancing to this, but they do uh, apparently at this club and it had enough popularity and traction that they wanted to release it as a single. So they did. And so that's one of the reasons why it's out there in the radar more maybe than other songs, but uh, it's also been re-released um, and part of the licensing deal I have with this new record label where they're going to release their their favorite music, I think, in two CDs, um, kind of a, a retrospective of my work on, on seven or eight CDs. And uh, and so it's come out again. It's been re-released. And so that's why it's maybe gain, gaining some more attention or maybe why you even heard it in the first place. OK. You don't know which club by any chance in London they were playing this? I, I mean, my manager at the time said, oh, yeah, I know this club. They play straight ahead jazz. People dance to it. I think it's the craziest thing that, you know, I said, what are they dancing to? He said, they're dancing to Monk. They're dancing to Train. They're dancing to whatever. So it's kind of crazy. I think you know, people are dancing to straight ahead. But, you know, whatever. People people dig it and people are hearing the music and liking it. Then, then so be it. That's the conduit. I'm digging it. I'm loving it. Is that band going to be on any of these tracks coming out on the album? Oh, uh, not the your new rhythm record, section was sick, right? Yeah, okay. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's that's Jean Michel Pilk and um, Greg Hutchinson and Steve Varner and John Swana. I don't think John Swana's on that tune, trumpet player, flugel player. But yeah, there's some more tracks from that album coming out on the retrospective. Uh, so it's a two album, two album set. Uh, I think they're releasing twenty. So it's, I guess you could call it kind of like uh, um, best of or the labels picking what they consider to be the best of and uh, some re-editing and remixing and <clears throat> they'll be releasing. Well, the first album is, is being released. That's why you heard golden lady. Uh, and then they'll release the second one, I believe after they release the first record I do for them. So a lot of the, a lot of the songs on that first record, um, which the album's called sirens in the sea house. Um, yeah. It's, Killing rhythm section, you know. Greg Hutchinson's, you know, was with Eddie Carter, uh, among many other people. Uh, Common, he's been with everybody, um, but and he's still playing. Of course, he lives in Italy, but he's he's fantastic. And Jean Michel Bilk lives in uh, Montreal now. And and uh, I mean, yeah, I was I was a, a dream rhythm section, uh, and my first recording in '97. So um, I, 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 something very close to you know special special feeling uh, my first love my first uh, lost my virginity as it were to that record you know first recorded <laughs> record okay well question on that just from 1997 to now since you were actually been recording since then what mm-hmm. shocked you the most in the music industry in terms of jazz since then that's 25 years roughly actually what is, 26. as far as players or as far as just the industry Both. 
Um, <clears throat> I don't think musically anything shocked me. Uh, lots of, you know, we, we, we've had, I mean, there's a good and a bad that comes with it. You know, you have something like YouTube and now you have this opportunity to really find anything that you want to hear. Uh, which of course later then we have Spotify and you can really just find anything. So the, 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 anything that you want to hear is at your fingertips, anything and everything before. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, um, you would get hip to records by different musicians. That was kind of actually a more special way to do it because you were really in search of this music. And the thing was with different players, even they're on your same level or if they're better, whatever, it didn't matter you would meet people and they would say, man, I got some stuff to show you. Of course, now anybody can has access to all those things. But if you had these records, it's because you really wanted this record. And you went out and you bought it and you listened to it like nobody's business over and over again. And so really this music, I think, became more, it was closer to us. Uh, but when it all became something about YouTube or Spotify, I, I listened to it one time and, you know, I'm not paying for it or, or I'm paying a minimal amount of money. So I don't, I'm not really going to pay attention to it that much. But when you bought a record, you're like, I'm going to listen to this record from front to back a number of times and really digest it. So that's kind of changed. I'm not saying I'm shocked by anything in there, but I guess it's kind of shocking. The evolution of how people listen to music uh, is, is, is a little shocking and maybe a reason why younger guys aren't digesting things the same way the older cats are now I'm, I'm not see i'm just i'm dating myself now now i'm one of the older cats right i'm 55 years old and, and so uh yeah so i mean i i learned music and i learned about music much differently than than uh the young guys on the scene today uh so that's a little shocking of course it's shocking that there's no there's there's nothing to sell anymore except for live concerts um yeah of course you can license things to movies tv or film but I mean, it's kind of like the, the industry just kind of the bottom dropped out. We could be a self, a self actualized musician by selling our own product, putting our own product out. And now you can't do that anymore because there is no product. So you almost have to be with a label. And I don't even know how labels make money. You know, it's a new paradigm. Uh, a lot of labels that I know of the people. Yeah, they're not making money like that anymore because, like you said, the bottom tanked out. They don't have what, what's product, the, like what's the revenue stream, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you want the sad numbers? Oh, no, no. I don't want the sad numbers. I mean, because I live the sad numbers. You don't know, <laughs> need to tell me the sad numbers. You know, that's, that's, that's my life. So it's about touring now. It's got to be on the road all the time. And, and uh, if you can, you know, sell some merch, that's great. Um, if you can parlay what you do into... TVs, commercials, movies, licensing, that's great. Uh, if you're blessed and somebody samples your stuff, that's blessed. But that's a type of licensing as well. But that's um, pretty so, much how a lot of make their money. You're hoping yeah, somebody right? samples it. You're hoping, but you also can, I mean, I suppose with this whole algorithmic stuff of Spotify, the more opportunity for people to hear your music, i.e. getting listeners, putting it out on social media, drawing people to your music, that the more it gets, you know, it gets on playlists and, and maybe it gets in the ears of somebody who actually books music for TV shows or books move, uh, stuff for movies or books stuff for commercials. Or you have an agent who specifically goes out there and tries to, you know, get uh, get the jobs for you. I mean, there's there, there are people who do that, you know. They're brokers, as it were. So, I mean... yeah. What what else okay. can we do? We're backed into a corner. We got to find a new way to invent ourselves. Yes. Hold on one second again, because it's happening again on your end. All right. It's definitely your end. Is the camp? Can you rotate the camera to the front of you? Is that interference? I don't. I don't know how any of that would be interference. <clears throat> okay. Hold on. Let me turn. Say something now. One two one two one two. Yeah, it's not that I'm trying anything because, like I said, my engineer would know that. Whatever. Let's yeah. continue. You can, you can edit that out. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I'll figure that out. Okay, so anyway, okay. so I agree with you on that. And then the problem with the media part is that, how should I put it? It's cheaper. And there are people who are making stuff on YouTube, like you mentioned, cheaper overhead. And they're getting more views than a lot of these te television shows. 
Right. So they have that to vary variable and all that other stuff on top of that. But you know, yeah, I, I mean, agree. at some point, you know, I, I mean, how, how, how many people really were listening to train and bird and art Blakey and, and, uh, and Lee Morgan and Clifford when that music was out, is it more percentage of people or less percentage of people were listening to that stuff than they are listening to the straight ahead stuff today actually more today more today yeah more so, today right i know people don't believe that these right. guys weren't going platinum back then right um but it I was mean, more there, mainstream there, yes but they weren't selling right um and yet you know, if they, I know a lot of people, of course, you know, the industry, you know, people that people were taking advantage of, <clears throat> people are still taking yes. advantage of, but, um, you know, at least there was a product to sell. There's no product to, to sell, uh, now. So, so what does that really equate to? So what if you do get a million listens on, on Spotify? What does that really mean? 3000 $4,000? And what did it take? How much did you have to spend to get to three or $4,000? And so it just doesn't really work out so it's kind of like a, a so what you know to some degree but then in the end you know especially in the jazz world i don't think we've ever approached this from the vantage point of i'm going to play jazz and get rich you know so if that wasn't our goal in the first place why do we care if it's not happening except that all we're really looking for is a reasonable way to stay afloat and make some money you know and stay alive so um i mean I don't know if there's ever been a time where jazz musicians were really making a whole lot of money, but uh, so so it's not that's not why we're doing it. But we it's it'd be nice to have an opportunity to stay afloat and not worry about money so much. That I agree on, but then you have the other variables or the other problems where it's like there are less jazz halls because of all the. Vi- all the streaming, all the videos, all the movies, all the television stuff, people don't really have to go out for live music anymore. And then if you're in New York, just alone, you're competing with so much more stuff now than 30, 40 years ago to catch a person's attention. Right. Yeah, so like going to, we'll just use Smokes, because I pick on some other jazz clubs all the time. Mm. Is a tourist really going to come in here, take the train all the way uptown, to go hear jazz. Is that on their well, to-do list anymore? I don't know. You know, um, I can tell you that there are, I mean, some of these clubs, while they're fantastic clubs, they are on on the radar of some tourism. You know, I remember playing at Dizzy's uh, at Lincoln Center and I sold out the place. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. And then I see the crowd and I'm like, I don't know any of these people. Where'd they come from? And I think I went out on the break and there was a, a lot of people in the audience were Japanese. Um, and and I'm, I asked one of them, I said, man, how did you find out about the show? It said, oh, it was, it was on a, a tour guide thing. So we actually all took a bus here. I mean, there's, 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 there's some radar out there that's, that's bringing in fans uh, internationally uh, to, to places. And, and uh, of course, you know, if, if you have a high level of, of, of discernment in booking and people are coming from out of town. I mean, Dizzy's is not doing a bad job and the houses are kind of full. I think smoke is doing well too. I think smalls is doing, doing well. I mean, it's, it's full houses. Um, is it still a struggle? Yeah. Um, but, and, and so congratulations to the clubs that maybe they're making some money, but, uh, you know, I don't know how much is reserved for us, but, uh, it's the music business and yeah. I understand that. I agree with you on that. But hey, not everyone gets to perform a disease and not everyone gets to say they sold out disease. I've been some there sometimes when I walk in as a standby and it's half empty. Right. Right. So, so that's right. still impressive to me. Yeah. I mean, it's I suppose it's all circumstantial. I mean, I've sold out Dizzy's, uh, I've sold out Mesro, I've sold out, you know, whatever it is. And uh and then I've also played some of these places where it hasn't been a full house. Why wasn't it a full house? Was it a holiday? Was there a big sporting event? Was it an off night? Did you not assemble the right players? Did you not have the right PR? Did the, was the PR not released at the right time? I don't know, you know, sometimes what it is. Uh, it's just the way it is. is it a religious holiday. Is it, you know, the day of the week? Is it really hot weather? Is it really cold weather? 
I don't know. There's all sorts of variables involved. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because I've seen, I mean, I've seen great shows and, you know, I've been in New York for a long time and I've seen great shows where it's like Jeff Tain Watts and, and Kukowski and, and maybe, you know, Curtis Lundy or, or whoever it is. Um, and they're playing at a club and there's like three people there, you know, and I'm like, what, you know, this is, you know, some of the greats are in here and, and why isn't anybody here? Or I stopped by the Vanguard late, late night and, and Joe Lovano, uh, is playing with Bill Frizzell because they used to kind of do a, a residency there. There's not that many people there. All right. Well, you know, that's, that's how it is. You know, with Paul Motion, I think Paul Motion was doing a gig down there for a while with Bill Frizzell and, and Lovano. And uh, I stopped in a couple nights where yeah, it wasn't a jam-packed house. I was like, we're all, we're all the people. That's, it just happens. Yeah. <laughs> You're hitting a lot of the points I see all the time. Yeah. And then when we lose jazz clubs every now and then, that's another like slap in the face that I feel. Yeah, I think a lot have opened up to a bunch. I feel like I don't even know all of them now, you know, because a lot of them, Autumn opened up. So I think there's a dynamic when, when you get to a certain level as a player in New York City, um, the goal is to get famous in New York. So you're, you don't necessarily have to play here. And so you're going overseas and making much better, (laughs) much better money. Right. Right. And, and because, you know, when you start playing Birdland and when you start playing Dizzy's and when you start playing, the blue note and the jazz standard um well oftentimes those contracts are accompanied with you cannot play in the five boroughs the month before the month during or the month after look man you're not going to make that much money when you're playing at the club to make you survive for three months so you got you have to have your act together overseas so once that act together overseas starts happening then new york's not the main focus, but you still love it here because it's the place where you can go out any night and see great music. You can get together, you can meet new musicians, young musicians, older musicians, people who somehow you missed along the way. So it's kind of that type of joint. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to survive. And if that money is better overseas and you're getting that applause and you're playing concert hall tours, well, then that's, that's the goal. I mean, the goal is to spread. I mean, I, I was lamenting the fact that or, you know, someone was kind of laughing at me. They're like, ah, oh, man, I heard you're really popular in Russia. And I'm like, yeah, man, I can go there and I can make some nice bread. And, you know, they're laughing. I'm like, well, what does it matter who is who's excited to see me and paying for the tickets as long as there are people who are excited and buying tickets? I get to do what I do, you know, whether they speak our language, whether they speak this language or that language. You know, what does it matter? Uh, I'm just grateful and thankful that I have this opportunity to do, to do the do, um, versus what, um, all right, you're not that big in Ohio. You're not that big in, you know, whatever in, um, Oregon or Washington or Texas or Florida. Uh, that's all right. You know, I can go to this country and play sold out concert halls every night I'm there and make much more money. And that's all I'm trying to do anyway. And come back to New York and play one of the larger clubs. Then go back out on the road again because you can't play in the city the month before, the month during, or the month after. <laughs> okay, so what actually makes you as an artist? But yeah, I should say, what makes New York stand out more to you as an artist versus some of the other places? Or are there other places <clears throat> you prefer over New York? Well, I mean, as far as jazz music is concerned or or, or Black American music, whatever, whatever you choose to call it, um, it's it's where everybody is coming or has come historically. Maybe it's shifting. I don't know, uh, but historically, and I would I, w- I would venture to say uh, that still is now. It's it's the place where everybody around the world. It's the it's the goal. You know, it's the goal. Make it in New York, and then so you don't necessarily have to be there. Um, and so the opportunity, as I said, kind of alluded to before, that I can call up great, fantastic, famous players and say let's get together and play or let's get together and try some tunes or play a gig with me. And here you go. You know? So, um, having that opportunity is, I mean, maybe go to another city and there might be a handful of people, another city and, and, and uh, unbelievable players, right? But New York, you're going to find a just much larger, much larger, uh, uh, 
bank of people who are amazing on a different level. I mean, New Orleans is an amazing place. You know, Philly's a great place. Chicago's a great place. LA is a great place. Nashville, even a great place. Kansas City's a great place. It's talking about the United States. Boston, you know, there's a lot of great players everywhere, but I think there's just a higher concentration here. Okay. And then, well, so just off the jazz scene in New York. I know you're from Philly also, but from the jazz scene in New York. We'll go back to when you first premiered in 1998 to now. What have you really mm-hmm. noticed difference in terms of just the atmosphere in the clubs and the pursuit of the music? Like, do people actually go out and search for it, even with all the stuff that we have nowadays? I don't know if I've seen much difference between then and now. I think there were a lot more places to play back then. That doesn't mean that they were full, but uh, I saw a lot of great shows. I mean, Smalls was a dumpy place back then in the nine, mid-90s, um, but I loved going there. Everyone loved going there in the mid-90s. You know, Then it got a little bougie and they got a bar and whatever else is going on there. And, and they, you know, they still have it going on. Of course they do. You know, Spike's done a great job at that place and with Mesro. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know if I can answer that to any place of satisfaction. Okay. Yeah. No, no. So where do you think jazz would be in 10 years? I don't know. I think maybe a better question is where do I think this world will be in 10 years? And then we can ask where jazz is. I mean, <laughs> I mean, are we going to, seriously, I mean, we're going to have a third. If you want to go down the rabbit hole, I'm willing to go down there. Let's go. I don't even think it's much of a rabbit hole. I mean, you know, we have, we have half the world against the other half of the world right now in a conflict that's, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. As I said, I used to go to Russia all the time to play and well, that's out, you know, and Will other countries in Europe be out? And anytime soon, will the whole world kind of be, will we kind of go through a a pandemic type of situation with a world war happening? Who knows? I don't know. And so I could, I could think about what's going to happen in 10 years, but I think probably a safer bet for me to concentrate on what's happening right now. And, uh, and, and one day at a time. Oh, okay. Okay. That is fair. (laughs) So what is something that people misunderstand about the jazz world, especially someone like you who's always performing? Um, People don't, you mean just like the general layman, like general people? Yeah, the general person, the average person. I think, I think uh, maybe a good analogy is like uh, there was, there was a nun and she won the lottery, and and the and the and TV was was there uh, interviewing her, and they said, "So now you won these millions of dollars. What are you going to do with your life?" And she was like, well, "I'm going to be a nun." What are you talking about? You know. So I don't. I think the misconception or misperception, whatever it is, we're going to that they don't understand that we found out in life what we're going to do. And it's not about retirement or about attaining a certain amount of money. It's, it's getting to this place as an artist, getting to a certain place, a certain level as an artist that we attain to, that we're constantly striving to get to. Um, and that there's no end to that. You know, it's a, you're a verb. You're not like, all right, once I get a Grammy, then I'm going to retire. What are you talking about? You, you don't do this because you get some award you can put on them on a mantle. You do this because this is what you love to do. And, and I think it's harder for some people to understand that we're okay with not having the best clothes. We're okay with not having, uh, certain things in life because life isn't about that for us, for us, we're not out there to beat the Joneses. We're not out there to, to raise ourselves in some societal, uh, you know, system of 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 moving up uh what's what's the word i'm looking for a case system uh where where we have our our goals and uh and those shiny objects aren't really as appealing to us or those shiny objects aren't our goals you know it's 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 the art the craft itself yeah i think that that might be a 
I would agree with that. But at the same time, I know some artists that are begging for a Grammy because they do want that ignition. I mean, recognition. Well, well, you know, I mean, with Grammy comes the opportunity to play more. I mean, so it depends why they want a Grammy. Do they want a Grammy because they they need to tell their father, hey, look, I'm worthwhile. I'm doing something worthwhile. Or do they want a Grammy so they can pick up a girl or, or a boy, whatever it is? Do they want a Grammy so they see, okay, I see the worth of a Grammy because it looks good on paper and I'll be able to get more work and I can increase my price? Why are they happy that they're going to get a Grammy? These are the questions that I would want to know because do I see a benefit of getting a Grammy? Yeah, but it's more on the business side of things. So I can spread the word of what I do because I believe I have something to say and I'd like to share it with people. Other people might look at it like it means more money for me so I can buy that house and so I can do this. That's not where my mind is, but that's, you know, it's up for them to to decide what's important for them in life. Okay, that is fair. No, I, I give you that one also. Okay, so then what do you tell your students when they're pursuing this occupation, you know, going full-time musician artist? Uh, I suppose um, I try and be real, try and be realistic. And uh, at some point as, you know, you're not just a teacher, you're a mentor because you kind of been there. And you've gone through the process of, of the, the craft and also the process of the, the business world. Uh, or, you know, so explaining failures is important, explaining successes, explaining that there is no successes without the failures, um, uh, explaining that uh, there's an accountability mirror and they have to look into it at the end of each day and say, did I do my best am I, or am I lying to myself about what I'm doing? Uh, because if you're lying to yourself, maybe you need to pick something else to do in life. Because it's a brutal, it's a brutal existence to some degree. So being honest about all aspects of it, whether it's the business side, whether it's the musical side, whether it's the, you know, being honest with themselves, is this really what I want to do? And there's nothing wrong with not wanting to do it. But I think we constantly have to check ourselves on some of these things. No? Okay. And... Is there anything that, have you ever had a student that just came back to you after and was totally shocked on how it actually was? Um, I remember seeing people in music school um, come to start studying music and they thought it was some glamorous thing and they didn't understand that you gotta, you know, you gotta get in that woodshed and, and sweat while everybody else is out playing, you know, you got to put in the time uh, and pretty much can be the litmus test is, you know, how far you want to go? Well, let's see how much time you're willing to put in, how much, how much uh, denying some of the, what might be considered the more comfortable things in life or more comfortable existence, uh, you know, those types of things. Uh, so I see people who came to music and said, this isn't what I thought it would be. Uh, and then I, I, I knew people who were like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Because we go through these cycles, let's say, and we want to live, you know, there's sacrifices involved. Let's say, I, I saw this a lot. All right, so mm -hmm. you see somebody come in the music business and they're a really great player, they're doing really well, and they, let's say, I'm just going to do it from the perspective of some male friends. Uh, they meet a girl and they love the girl and so now uh they're with the girl and suddenly they consider that the girls consider themselves like a jazz widow because what are their husbands doing they're out on the road doing what they pursued to do and 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 the women might say you know this isn't what i had envisioned i need somebody who's going to be around a little bit more and uh the husband says okay well i'm gonna all right th then they have a kid and they're like, well, now I got to go out and work. And okay, now you have unhappiness because now the husband's really never home, but he's out doing what he's, he's, uh, he's trying to support the family. And so he's not around for the kid. He's not around for his wife. And, and then they start to question, is this what I want in life? And so that's another aspect of it. You know, um, I don't have kids. I have a girlfriend. Um, and sometimes she might meet me on tour. Uh, other times I'm away for longer than she'd like. That's part of it. And so we have to ask ourselves these questions. What is it that we want in life? And what are we willing to sacrifice for? 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's heavy I dope, but it's the, tr- I mean, yeah. it's the truth. Yeah. I, like I said, not much I could really go down on that <laughs> with that type of answer. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, sir, this is a question I really want to know because one of the albums I did know you from before was with Christian McBride. And oh, and Warren Evans' record? It. Yes. It was Warren Evans' <laughs> record, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did you get that gig? Well, I worked with Orrin for a number... I mean, Orrin and I have known each other for like 25 years. Orrin's from Philadelphia. And we've known mm. each other for about 25 years. He's a few years younger than I am. I think he's in his late 40s. Maybe coming on 50. I don't know. I'm 55. Um, so so Orrin's played with Christian. You know, so Orrin grew up more with Christian, they're more of the same age. So they grew up in Philly together, knowing each other more. I didn't, I didn't, uh, cause I didn't spend my high school years in Philly. Um, uh, but even if I had, I, I would have been older than Christian anyway, and would have been gone. So Oren called me up, but I mean, that was a weird, kind of a strange recording in the sense that, uh, the idea, the concept that Oren had was, was great, but, um, he, I was in bed with the flu, sick with the flu. And I get this text message and the text is, are you coming? And I responded like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I called you. I, I left a message about you being on this record date, you know? And I'm like, I'm sick. You know, I, I have the flu. I don't know. What do you want? What do you want me to do? He says, all right, you don't want to come in to record. And I said, well, what is it? You know, what do we, what do you want me to even do? I'm like sick as a dog. And, uh, barely have a voice and he's like I want you to come in and I want you to do I think it was all the things you are right yes yeah so I came in I was like okay I can do that I said do it reharm no not really just some some minor things here and there all right I'll I'll come in and do it there it was being done at Sears Sound so I came into the studio and oh my god I mean you heard the recording I've never heard never heard a tempo like that before I think the recording is maybe five the, the, the track is like five, six minutes long, but it's one chorus. It's a in, short intro. It's a, the, the, yeah. the whole song one time through and then a short outro and that's it. And that is like f- over five minutes long. It's crazy how slow it is. So, I mean, other than to tell you that I was kind of in a daze being sick and then to come in and see that kind of arrangement that they wanted to do, which was, you know, a little shocking. I'm like, I've never heard. I mean, it's quite extreme. I mean, uh, great concept. It was extreme. No, I thought it was a great song. I think yeah, people should yeah. check that out. With the introduction, then you hear, it's because Tristan on the bass, going all that stuff. Then you hear the drums come in. Then Was it bam. Kareem Riggins, right? Kareem Riggins? Yes. He's playing drums, right? So it's Kareem and Christian and Orn, which is a powerhouse trio to begin with. And so for me, of course, it's just a, a pleasure and an honor to be playing with such great players, you know, so that's a, that's a, a nice thing. Um, I've hung out with Christian a few times. We're just acquaintances. We don't really know each other that well. Um, and, but, but Orrin, Orrin's played with them and grew up with them and with Kareem as well. Kareem lives in California, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew Orrin, so I came and I did the thing and, and I split. I, I, I don't even know. I don't remember the last time I heard that track, but I kind of remember going, really, you're going to keep that? Oh no, we like it. There's some, there's something to it. I'm like, all right, sick as a dog. You're making me come in here and saying, all right, you're going to keep a, what I considered was a less than flattering track to me. Uh, but whatever, you know, uh, I, I can't judge to a great degree how other people feel about it. You know, I can just say, well, I don't know if it's the best thing I've done, but it's very interesting. So, all right, cool. I freaking loved it. Uh, nice. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. yeah, and there's one other one I definitely want to bring up, which is the LRK Trio track you did. The Thoughts Okay, on. that's a trip. Yeah. yeah. That one. You like that track? Co- yes, that was totally different than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard no, I the love stuff? The, the, huh? Have you heard the, the Love Park stuff that I did with Orn? We had a fusion band, and that's something no, to check out. I, Man, that's some to really out. nice stuff, yeah. Uh, Donald Edwards and Ralph Bowen. And at one point, Mark Kelly was in the band, the bassist Mark Kelly, who's with the Roots now. Um, and so it was that, that was a, a great fusion ensemble. 
and uh, Dawn, Oren's wife, was singing in there as well. We had a couple other singers, uh, and Byla Singley, I think was her name, um, and Bilal actually was with the with the group for a minute. I don't you know the singer Bilal. Yes. Yeah. Um, so okay. that's actually you got stuff with it. I got to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that was Uh-oh. a band called Love Park, L U V P A R K. Um, but uh, yeah, the thing okay. with uh, L R K. So that's a Russian trio. And, um, I mean, I had known the bass player for years and years and years. The drummer and the pianist were much younger. Um, but the, the bass player, Antoine Revnowick, um, great bassist that I worked with for years, was a member of this group. And uh, I performed with him in Russia as a guest. So I would, like, do half the concert. And then we went to Portugal as well. And because there was some festival over there that heard some or saw some videos that we did together and invited me to come over and perform with them in Portugal at a festival, did the same thing there. And then uh, Anton said, hey, would you would you like to sing on this tune that I wrote with the band? And so yeah, I did it. It was a little low. The range, I remember, was kind of I wasn't crazy about the range, but uh, yeah, it, worked, it worked out all right. Yeah. I mean. I like how you just I say it. Like I don't even casual. know how you heard it. <laughs> I don't even know how you heard it. I don't know how you came across LRK. Uh, every now and then I get lucky with people oh. sending me links once I tell them what, who I have it on next. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, okay. and I have a friend that has a, a collection at home. Like, I okay. swear he bought every single jazz album that came out from 95 until, like, 2010. Right. Yeah. But, okay. yeah. Dude. Love your stuff. <laughs> so uh, tell me about Thank what's you. actually going to be more on these upcoming albums. Well, the retrospective. Looking forward to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, me too. The retrospective is going to be nice uh, just because I think a lot of the stuff, you know, I was I had some minor record labels, uh, independent record labels that that uh, really small ones that, that uh, took out took my other records on. Uh, but they didn't really, you know, break through. Uh, that wasn't much spent on them being being played or radio campaigns or anything else. So I'm excited that that some of this material that I've written over the last, you know, 20 some years going on 30 years is going to reach a light of day. I mean, you talked about lighting, liking that tune with Hutchinson and Jean-Michel. I mean, I love a lot of tunes from that record and they never really got heard. And then I made a record with Dave Liebman. Um, we, we, did some collaborative stuff where um, the saxophonist Dave Liebman, who was with Miles in the in the early seventies, um, so all that stuff's going to be released. I did a, a record with two bass players and voice and drums. Uh, that that album's going to be released not in its entirety, but selections from it. Uh, another trio with a pianist named Steve Rudolph. Uh, another record I did with Oren Evans. Eric Rivas and the Sheet Waits and Mark Ducre. And that album was 2013. That should be coming out. Different things from that. A live album in Portugal. Not with LRK, but a different time. Um, and then the new record, which is interesting because most everything that I've done has been on the straight ahead tip. Um, and or progressive jazz. And over the pandemic, I got together with one of my best friends from college. We had a rock band right after college. And so I said, what are you doing during the pandemic? Of course, he's doing nothing. Um, I mean, really great player. He worked with everybody from from Robert Plant to uh, Alejandro Escovedo to um, uh, just uh, Patty Griffin, uh, just a number of great artists. Uh, and so he's in the singer-songwriter world, and I'm more in the jazz world. But we got together maybe four times over the pandemic, maybe three times, I can't quite remember, and wrote a bunch of tunes, which are more singer-songwriter. So I was in the studio, I, you know, I wanted to do this record, but I hadn't done a singer-songwriter record before. It's a little different kind of heaviness to it than a jazz record is, you know, because um, you're more on the production side of things than you are on a jazz record. Um, but uh, I assembled a, a great cast and crew um, Taylor Ixty on piano and James Genus, the bassist, and Obed Calver on drums. Gilad Hexelman's a guest. Gregoire Moray's guest, uh, 
and uh, Alina Ingebarian and uh, and my my friend that I wrote songs with. So most of the songs are more in the singer songwriter world, which is a trip uh, for me. And and uh, I don't know how that's going to be received um, by the jazz police, but uh, we'll see. And then you know be following it up with with more straight ahead records on this label. Understood. And you just hit another soft spot for me, the jazz police. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not gonna get on that on this episode. Right, but yes. right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. The jazz okay, police. so I mean, because literally yeah. there's people out there who are like, No, this doesn't belong in the jazz category. I, I mean, because certainly I mean, you have people what, Yeah. Right. No, that's I, one I, reason why it just gets smaller and smaller the audience. Right, right. But uh but I mean you I think agree about you. you think about it, you know. Well, the jazz police are against things if it's not in their best interest. And so when Nora Jones came out with her record, what was that come fly with? I don't know. Was it 20 years ago or something? Um, You know, is that a jazz record? I don't know. I'm not going to be the jazz police, so I'm not going to say anything. But it would seem that's more of a singer-songwriter type of record, right? Did she do a a jazz tune on there? Yeah, she did one. But there's acoustic bass. What does that make it jazz? What, you know, what, what is making this jazz? And so... I don't want to get into it. I'm not going to say it. But if those are the qualifications, then what doesn't get in there? You know, I don't know. Uh, so oh, so but, you're with the jazz police on that or are you against them? No, no. So I, 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 <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm going to be if, if you're going to say that that is in the jazz realm of things, then then uh, then why are you saying that other things are not like where are you drawing okay. the lines and what lines are being okay. drawn? I'm just I'm I agree just, with uh, you there. You know, OK, so. Uh, if you don't like the record, then don't vote for it in the Grammys. If you don't think it's jazz, then don't vote for it. You know, but don't. She swept the Grammys that year. I think that yeah. also got a lot of people upset. Yeah. All right. Be upset. Then go back into your practice <laughs> room and work harder and become a better musician and write better songs than she has on that record. Go make your money and be happy. I don't know. What, what do you want? You know. So. I agree with you on that. And that's a whole other thing that even my last guest and I had back and forth on. Like, she was complaining that pop artists, I mean, pop, you have to be a pop artist to pretty much make it big. And pop stations want songs that are three minutes long, but her right. songs are seven minutes long. And I was just right. like, how about you just write a song that's three minutes long? Right. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it, yeah, it depends how we're viewing making a record. Miles thought a record was an advertisement for a gig. All right. All right, yes. But then Miles also made records like Bitches Brew, where obviously, you know, you're not going to one of those tracks is going to be, what, 20 minutes long. You know, it's not going to get radio play except for some super late night thing. So, um, you know, what is your goal with making the record? Um, and, and what's what's the point of making the record? If you're looking to make an artistic statement, are you looking to be involved in transactional, you know, uh, stuff uh, financially? All right, that's another way to make it, you know. What are you trying to do? So I'm not out there telling people what to do. You know, I have people who make make records for art where it's very cinematic and from start to finish, it's one long piece and whatever. I mean, uh, at some point, just let people make art. But you also have to understand you're going to deal with the consequences of of uh, of of the corporate world. And it's called the music business. And if there's no business, there's no music. And if you're not making things that are friendly for people to have on the radio so that they can get their advertising dollars in there and there's room and there's time for enough commercials, then there's no radio station. And so, like, you know, I mean, we have to have we have to be cognizant of, you know, we're not we're not uh, we're not an island. You know, we, we can't keep our heads buried in the sand. And go, oh, it's not right. We can't make a six-minute or seven-minute song. Go ahead, make your six-minute or seven-minute song. Understand, you're also not going to get radio play, you know, because maybe you went over the line and they can't fit you in. I agree with you 200%. Can't complain about it. This is one of the few times I get a guess where I agree with, like, literally 90-plus percent of Mm. the stuff they're saying. Right. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that my perspective wasn't different at some point in my life. But maybe you, you you grow up a little, you get a little older, and you kind of say, "All right, you know, am I going to fight City Hall, or what's my way to actually get around this, or what's what's another way I can approach this?" I don't know. Politics okay. is about you know it's politics, so it's about it's about concession. It's about you got to give a little, you got to give a little to get a little. You know, 
Fair. Okay, so would you suggest a young... Actually, yeah, actually, yeah. Do you suggest a young group that is doing well, that is getting attention, stay together, grow together, or sp- spread out and actually try to book on with older, older people? If you understand what I mean. Yeah, I think I do. Um, I was talking about this the other day. It seems like every young person in the jazz world wants to create their brand at such a young age in the jazz world. And I don't think that's how it was done historically. It seems kind of, you know, a little, not premature, but but uh, it seems false. I mean, people did stints with Art Blakey. People did stints with Betty Carter. People did stints with other people, basically mentorships before they came into their own. Were there exceptions? Of course there were. Everyone wants to be an exception these days. No one's willing to go, you know what? I love what this master has done. I want to play with this master so I can learn everything there is to learn. And then maybe in my 30s or 40s, I'm ready to make that stand where where, where I'm ready to put myself out there. Um, but everyone is so quick to want to brand themselves immediately instead of getting that crucial life experience. Everyone wants to be a, a prodigy in their teens. Everyone wants to, you know, they're in such a hurry. So... Uh, that's one aspect of things. Another aspect is what people don't get is that there really has been very few successful artists who were not in bands. I mean, look, I just named some artists. All right. Miles. Miles had a band, right? Art Blakey. Art Blakey had a band, you know, Cannibal. Cannibal had a band. Um, Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny's got a band. What happens with a band? Well, suddenly the music disappears off the stands and people are paying attention to each other. They're, they, you know, they have everything memorized. This is a band. And only through relationships like this and evolution of groups uh, can I think the, 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 the best music come about. You know, when you have a band, um, that's when really the magic, uh, the highest level of this music takes place. Um, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, personnel shifts, but a band is where it's at. Okay. Another great answer. Can't complain about that. (laughs) I say, so I just, one more question. I guess I let you go, sir. So what is your dream album? What, if you could remove all the barriers, all the constraints, what type of project would you be? I mean, have, and who would be on it? Yeah, I'm, and I, it's a hard question to ask because it's like saying, what is your dream gig? And then once you play that gig, the idea of your dream gig would change uh, because you've already played your dream gig. So it's like dream gig after dream gig after dream, like dream record after dream. All right, there's my dream record. Well, what's my next dream record? All right, and it's going to change. It's going to change. My answer is going to change from today to maybe tomorrow to maybe next week to maybe a year from now. What is my dream record? However, I'll entertain the thought for a second. Um, and all I can say is what I want to do next. Because why wouldn't I want my next record to be my dream record, right? So I'm going to say that I would like to play with Bill Frizzell. I love Nasheet Waits. I love I love Revis. But there's a bass player I really dig called Chris Fun. So I'm just thinking right now, what is my dream? What am I envisioning? I'm thinking like a Bill Frizzell. I'm thinking Chris Fun, this this great bass player that that I like quite a bit, and the sheet weights. I think probably, arguably one of the one of the great living uh, straight ahead drummers, and uh, maybe a horn in there. You know, I like Seamus's playing a lot. I like, uh, yeah. So I, I, that's that's my dream right now. I'd like to make a more modern record with some uh, maybe not vocal electronica, but maybe a little more leeway with vocal electronics used in an organic way. Uh, and I'm just talking about vocal vocals affected by electronics. I'm not talking about looping or anything. But I'd like to make a standards record. That's my next thing. So that's my dream record right now. And after I make that record, you can ask me the question again, and I'm going to give you another scenario. So, <laughs> Okay, sir. Well, like I said, this has been probably the most smooth, at least on my part, interview I've ever had. Because there's right. sometimes when we go back and forth with people. <laughs> right. Well, so could you tell the people your website, your social media, where to find you, how to reach mm-hmm. out to you, et cetera? I am, uh, my, my 
My website is jdwalter.com. Mm, email jd at jdwalter.com. Uh, Instagram jdwaltersings. Facebook jdwaltersings. And I think TikTok is the same, whatever TikTok does. Um, and that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, sir, thank you for joining us. I'm definitely looking forward towards your next albums. All right. And all right. Everyone. And check out, check out, I mean, and, and I don't mean this in some sort of like, let's, let's go ahead and get some shameless, um, boosts to what I do. No, uh, I'm not, I'm not, but, but if you like the golden lady stuff, man, check out that other record. So I'm not, now I'm talking to you. I'm not even talking to the audience, but, but, uh, check out that other <laughs> record and check out the Liebman stuff. I think there's more stuff on Apple music right now than Spotify, because as I said, we removed everything from Spotify. Okay. Um, but there's more coming. And I think actually the next release is going to be a sneak peek of the album coming out in the spring, which I can tell you is the song. And I love her. The Beatles song with Gilad Hexamon, mm -hmm. James Genus, Taylor Eichstey, and Obed Calvert on drums. All nice. great players. Okay. I'm looking for that towards that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, All right, everyone, this is the end of a Mimpov Exchange. Thank you, and have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>